Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is episode 39 in which we are covering The Handmaiden, one of our 25 favourite movies of the last 10 years. Uh, I am your host, Benjamin Phillips, because this is a movie that I picked. It's also a blind watch for my co-host, Matthew Waters. Matthew, how did you find our second foray into movies not natively in the English language? Benjamin, I am here to report to you. Basically, your findings with Creed and that this is my favourite movie you've made me watch that I haven't seen before. <laughs> I thought this was excellent and good choice. Uh, thank you for like arguing this quite strongly onto the list. I'm very glad I watched it. It's so good. It is really, really good. Yeah, it did fuck me up that like three days before I had I started watching it, you dropped the bombshell that it is uh, based on Fingersmith, which. I don't have an encyclopedic recall of, but I have definitely seen. Um, it was a book uh, in like the early 2000s that became a BBC. I mean, they, you can call it a series, but it's basically two TV movies. Yeah, and I mean, that was enough for me to remember, oh, she's going to lock her up in her place. You know, that, you know, that sort of stuff I remembered. Yeah, uh, it would have really fucked me up to just watch this not knowing that and then be like, ah! <laughs> because you'd always said how, you know, I, I feel you like to do this on purpose. You were like, it's a Welsh novel set in Victorian England yep. made by a Korean man set in Japanese-occupied Korea. And I was yep. like, what? <laughs> but you never actually said the name of that book. You always just said, our book. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't, and we actually had to postpone by a weekend. So if things had gone ahead as they should have with this recording, uh, I probably would have been halfway through it before I was like, "Why does this feel familiar?" <laughs> but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I, so you, I really, you did really it liked you, did it, you did it backwards to me because I watched the movie and then read the book that it's based on, and like obviously the first chunk of the book is basically identical in a lot of ways to to this movie, like the whole there's a con artist but then there's a double cross on the con and the the person who we don't think is going to end up in a mental hospital ends up in a mental institution yes. and so far that all tracks but then the books go it goes into off. some weird switched at birth stuff doesn't it yes, like it does. yeah the rich lady's actually the poor lady and vice versa <laughs> yeah and like the mother is actually important rather than yeah. kind of like thrown away like it is in this movie mm. and like, the second part of this book is more about the idea of, like, what if you are in an abusive relationship with your uncle who makes you read porn? <laughs> Which, yeah, is certainly a question that is asked at length um, <laughs> in this movie. But, yeah, I'm sure you're pleased to learn that, I'm, that I was into it. And I'm glad that we uh, have managed to get some foreign language movies on the list. It is something that I constantly feel a little bit guilty about it's not that i don't ever watch foreign films but i am always like you know what i do watch an awful lot of just american movies and uh, i should make more of an effort to branch out than i do but, yeah, yeah i've definitely made a more concerted effort in recent years because like it's not like they some of them do come out but quite often the ones that get wide releases are dubbed because it's normally like your yeah. animes that end up getting well, yeah. released in cinemas but like obviously i've I've been aware of Park Chan-wook for like oh, yeah. a very long time. Like Old Boy is one of those. I feel like it's one of those like formative. Everyone knows about Old Boy. Like even yeah. if you haven't seen it, you know what it is. You know that people revere it as a thing. It's uh, it's funny though because it's one of those movies that people bring up in the same breath as like, oh, you should watch this movie. It's as fucked up as like a Human Centipede or <laughs> or like a, a Serbian movie. 
Mm. Where, and like you watch it and you go, oh, but this is better made than both of those. Like this is the work of someone. Yes, it's dark yeah. and fucked up, but yeah. it's like someone who actually knows how to make a movie in a mm. way that it doesn't just feel exploitative. And I've watched like a hell of a lot of his stuff this year. Like I literally did a run of. Yeah, you did the whole trilogy, didn't you? Yeah, I did the whole trilogy. And I, like... for a long time, didn't know that was trilogy. <laughs> I thought it was just Old Boy. No, but... they're not. They're not related. Like, yeah, obviously, it's got I, some I, same yeah. actors. Um, but it's sort of like a spiritual trilogy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah just like insane violence and stuff like that. <laughs> but no, I I very much enjoyed it. Um, the uh, first Park Chan movie I ever saw, and I didn't actually know he did it until I was like looking up what else he's made this decade um because you know obviously i know old boy first i watched um <laughs> i would be interested to watch it again like at least a decade older than i was then i think i don't think it's in his like i think the ones that everyone adores from him mm. is like his handmaiden it's old boy yeah and then like people will throw in like a joint security area and stuff like i that, really want to see that that sounds interesting unless it's completely not how i'm imagining it in my head i've been on a big song kang ho hit kick this year because uh, I watched, like, I've seen Snowpiercer and Parasite mm. and Memories of Murder and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. And so I'm just out there going, like, well, I should just chuck, like, Joint Security Area and <laughs> like the other stuff that he's done. Because mm. he's great. I love him in everything I've seen him in. And he really should be at the Oscars this year. But that is a conversation <laughs> later on in this miniseries. Yes. I really like Park Chan-wook. This is my favourite of his. I remember... Like, there was a lot of buzz about it from Americans at the tail end of 2016 who were going like, oh my god, this movie's great, this movie's great. So when it finally ends up in the UK, because it, it didn't come out here until April of 2017, <laughs> it was like one cinema nearby that was playing it, and my friend was like, oh, we should all go together. So me and a bunch of friends I'd known since I was like seven went to the cinema together to go watch this thing, mm. and it was like, you sit there and go like, oh, okay, this is going to get horny. Yeah in that awkward way like yeah. these are these are not the friends who I would have like gone like yeah let's go uh, okay. let's go the sex <laughs> you got your sexy crowd uh, yeah, uh, yeah you, you did well to find it it opened in 94 theatres in the UK <laughs> so I mean it was I had never heard of it until you put it on the list and uh, I have I have recommended this to so many people I remember I was still working at the place we both used to work when it came out and it comes out on this like really cool split blu-ray where it comes with both the extended cut and the and theatrical cut and mm. I was literally just like putting in hands of everyone we work with and just just go watch this it's so good like <laughs> I think I think it still is. Like, obviously, I, 2017 it was my favorite movie of 2017 in terms of UK theatrical. But on Letterbox, I've got it as my number one of of 2016. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like that. Arrival, Moonlight are my top three for for 2016 movies. <laughs> yeah, a hell of a year. <laughs> a hell of a year. <laughs> so, how did it do at the UK box office in its opening weekend, Matthew? Um. Well, actually, because total worldwide. It makes thirty-seven, almost thirty-eight million dollars, and yeah, like obviously a lot of that is coming from Korea. About two million dollars in the U.S., uh, so that's the most outside of Korea. But trailing them would be the U.K., who in total gave it about a million dollars. Yeah, in its opening weekend in the U.S. Uh, in the U.K., uh, it makes about half a million dollars. Sixth highest grossing movie of that weekend and the second highest new movie uh it made more than get out did that week a movie we may have more to say about yes but get out was in its fifth week not its first so not trying to you know lie to people <laughs> it's, it's, it's not it's not that impressive <laughs> yeah uh number one that weekend was fate of the furious 
Yes. Because if you don't know, Matt, it's the eighth movie in the franchise. <laughs> what are they going to call F9? F9, I think. F9, yeah. That, they're just dropping it all. It's just going to become the letter F and a number forever. Uh, I mean, no, no, no. Next one's going to be faster than your seatbelts. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> the Boss Baby, Beauty and the Beast, uh, shout out Dan Stevens, Peppa Pig, my first cinema experience, wow. Going in style, Handmaiden, Get Out, Smurfs, The Lost Village, Ghost in the Shell, Sense of an Ending. And then Power Rangers. And then, a re-release of Moulin Rouge in its ninth week. <laughs> what the shit is going on? Yes, so... I do, I, I, I do I, enjoy I'm the honestly, UK box office, yeah, because I, you get, like, the stuff that Americans are going to go see, and then you get, like these wholly central like uk things which would never make an indent at the us box office like peppa pig yeah and then we have the bollywood movies because you know those there is a large audience for that in the uk and then i I don't know i mean i'm sure the us do loads of re-releases as well but i feel we also have a lot of re-releases we have cinemas that do like themed nights and again that must happen in the us but maybe i'm just not seeing it as much but yeah uh it is always a good variety and yeah it did well in the UK, would be my assertion that, you know, the biggest countries for it are the US, France, and us, and obviously France love a smutty classism film, so, you know, and so do we, but we're just a little bit more reserved than them. I mean, France also love an auteur, is the other one. Oh, of course, of course. French cinema, have you heard of it? <laughs> do you know what the greatest uh, film of the century is in France? Oh, it's a fucking TV show called Twin Peaks, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't be mean to cinema to Kaye. <laughs> we can. We can if they We, we can and we shows. should, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> speaking of best movies of the century, I've got my list of the movies that are critically acclaimed from 2016. Mm. Uh, number one is Moonlight, obviously. Like, it, it's kind of indisputable. Like, I don't think I've met anyone that's actually like, Moonlight, you know, terrible. Like, very <laughs> Piece bad. of garbage. <laughs> Tony Erdman is number two. La La Land, number three. Manchester by the Sea, L, Certain Women, The Handmaiden, which we are obviously discussing, Camera Person, Matt's favourite favourite movie, Patterson. <laughs> Mike doesn't listen to this podcast, but I hope that mentally, I mean, he'll be asleep right now, but I hope in his dreams he hears a sigh from across the Atlantic. I think the funniest thing is he made you watch that for content that never even happened. Yeah, because we were doing a podcast where we made each other pick a movie. We picked a movie the other hadn't seen. And the first outing was okay, and then I feel it started to get vindictive, where he picked one that I really didn't like, and I picked one I knew he wouldn't like, and he, like, couldn't even finish the movie, and uh, we just never recorded a second episode of Pick Your Poison. So we're here for Handmaiden. We're here for Handmaiden, which is uh, a movie that I adore. Like, I've seen this, like, three or four times now. I've, I've mentioned before that I've only ever watched the extended cut, because that's how it came out in the UK. It only came mm. out the extended cut in the cinema. And then when I was showing it to friends, I was like, do you want to watch the actual or do you want the extended cut? And we were like, oh, let's just stick on the extended cut. So that's just how I've consumed it. Whereas it went up on Netflix this week. I knew Matt would have a connection if I was like, here's a three hour movie for you to watch. So (laughs) I would be interested to see the three hour version. Maybe not immediately, but, you know, at some point. Yeah. Just to see the differences. Yeah, it isn't like a super needed watch like i did look online and park chan book is like it's not it's there is not called a director's cut for a reason this that isn't his preferred version he does say that you should probably watch the theatrical cut first if you are going into it and the extended cut is more for like people who really fucking like it who just want 
more of this world. And wow, dear Lord, you put me in that category there. <laughs> like, I, I do want to do this because obviously this movie did not get nominated for anything at the Oscars. It didn't even get nominated for foreign language uh, film, which is a kind of a downright travesty. Well, I have four actors, a director, and anyone else involved in it who would like a word because I would have given everyone involved in this some nominations personally. It depends who you want to call the lead actress I suppose. Um, I think you do like a Portrait of a Lady on Fire situation where they're both leads mm. really because like whilst obviously Suki does like she she starts it off. She starts it off yeah. but I do think like it becomes like, an echo story. Yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah, uh, but what was up against it at, or what actually got nominated that year for for foreign language film? Because uh, it was up, it would have been up against The Salesman, Land of Mine, A Man Called One, Tanner, and Tony Erdman. Mm. I, like again, I know some of those are good, but there's definitely room for The Handmaiden in there, and it's just especially more insulting when I feel like on the international stage, especially among film people, like South Korea is a very very well respected film country oh god yeah and the fact that it took until 2020 for them to even be nominated for any of the movies they put out like this starts this kind of tremendous i don't think there's something for 2019 or uh, for like actual 2019 but the fact that you have from korea like handmaiden burning and parasite in Mm. like a three to four year run and all of them are seen as like some of the best films of of the year and only one of those ends up getting nominated. And when it does get nominated, it just sweeps everything. Yeah, and like this, this wins the BAFTA for best foreign language movie. You know, it, yeah, it's just such a shame that the Oscars are so singularly focused. I would say. Yeah, it's just because um, like even even on things like production design, this movie is absolutely mm, stunning. Yeah. Like I think this movie is just the set design of this. It's really thing. well shot. Like. Uh, I don't know if it's CG or actual, but like he does several, like pulling out of the windows of the house, and then when she goes to the library for the first time, and there's that shot that like rushes down past all the bookshelves towards them, sit, you know, in this like iconic moment where she's like laid out on the floor, kind of thing. Both those camera shots, like, whoa, how did you do that? I mean, maybe that was CG, but yeah, yeah. the cinematographer on this is uh, Chung Chung Hoon, who mm. never been nominated for an Oscar, but like. He he started to come over to America and do some films over here because like he's worked with Park Chan Wook for like a very long time. Like he did Lady Vengeance, I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. Thirst, hmm. Stoker, etc. But then he comes over to the US. Does Zombieland, Zombieland, <laughs> Double Tap, he did last year. Hotel Artemis, and he's also the the oh DP on Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's upcoming movie. And Uncharted. And Uncharted. Jesus Christ. Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl? What the shit? <laughs> Is this, like, the best guy I've never heard of? Yeah, wow. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think it's really, really well shot. Like, that that house is beautiful. The sense of geography, I think we talk about quite a lot. I think we actually talked about it, ironically, more on uh, Kiki Punchy Men or, <laughs> or Secret Agent Men uh, than, than we have on this. But I think... A sense of geography is something that's missing from a lot of movies where, like, you could just wander off the side of the shot and you'd find yourself nowhere because it's all very clearly on a green screen. Whereas I think there are certain movies that you have a mental picture of the whole layout of a location and that you could walk from scene to... that you could explore outside um, what is physically being shown. 
Like, um, like literally the amount of times they look out the window and you see the tree that's yeah. obviously going to be like important later on in the film and you see them walk past the tree to go to where they walk or where the, the library is in position to the rest of the house. And and even beyond that, like right in the opening, when Suki arrives at the house and she's being told about it, it's like, right, there's a wing that's Japanese inspired, there's a wing that's British inspired and there's the servants' quarters. And you see enough of all three that you can build that mental map of how it all works and that like the library is like a little walk down the garden kind of thing because it's actually his secret fuck dungeon or whatever. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think that is all really effectively done. And then even when they change locations and, and the, the the place they're briefly staying during or just before the wedding, you know, when they're going to elope, like even that, that little uh, Japanese house, it, that has a good sense of geography. And yeah, uh, the hotel, it, the shot outside the hotel, when you see the two windows towards the end when she's poisoning him, that's really well shot. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, just a hell of a director. Like. It's, yeah, no, I, I just enjoy that they've taken this book that is obviously written by a Welsh author in 21st century England, or 21st century Britain, set in Victorian England, and then managed to find a way to translate it, not only visually, like, keeping some of that Victorian aesthetic in the way that the house is designed, but also, in part, this, like, sense of where South Korea was at this point in history, where... Mm. Like, the fact that the movie comes up with that little brief warning at the start and goes, like, South Korean subtitles are in white, Japanese subtitles in yellow. Uh, and whenever you see the, whenever you see the <laughs> yellow... Oh, no, I wasn't paying attention when that was on the screen. That would have helped. There were definitely scenes where I was like, I assume they're speaking Japanese right now, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, and it's get, like, random words would become yellow. At some right, point, and obviously I didn't. Into... That might have not been the case on Netflix as well. It might have overridden them with just their white ones. Oh, that sucks. Because that, yeah. that, so, so much of that is so cool. Is like they will say sentences and then random words be yellow, and you're like, ah, oh, damn. Yeah. I that's the kind of thing where like you are never gonna get all of the subtleties as you would if you spoke more languages. Like if mm. if you weren't a white boy in the West, like we talked about it in the raid, where like they have that negotiation scene and you've got Indonesian, Japanese and English all happening and it really just blows your fucking mind. You're like, wait, what? What's happening here? And I, contextually, I picked up on it because obviously Kazuki is like, has a hard-on for Japan and Fujiwara is pretending to be Japanese. I was like, oh, it would make sense if they were speaking Japanese right now. But just those little subtleties of language that I'm just not going to get as an English person. But yeah, yeah no, I mean, it, it's good that I still picked up on it. I suppose. But yeah, that's a nice touch to put the subtitles in different uh, colours. And if I'm wrong, Netflix, I apologise. <laughs> but I believe that they were all in one colour the whole way through. So, oh, poor form. That, that does so. I can understand why Netflix would do that is, like, uniformity over all of it. But, like... It might just be that I had subtitles on by default and if they were switched off, obviously... It would, def it would default to the hard-coded right. ones from the... Yeah, possibly. Exactly, exactly. But should we, should we get into the movie? Yeah, sorry, we should probably just stop sucking its dick for <laughs> 30 minutes in vague terms. Yeah, so... And suck its dick in very specific terms. Yeah, so the set of this movie is basically that Namsuki is going to be a handmaiden for Izumi Hideko, who is a Japanese heiress, and her uncle is uh, Kazuki, who has kind of kept her imprisoned in this house, yeah. essentially. So this is dumped on you. Like this is the part where I I said to you like you are gonna have to do some heavy lifting because names and plot details are coming at me very fast and that did go away pretty quickly actually. Like I I thought it was gonna be 
two hours of this of that it's a great scene when Fujiwara is is expositioning about his plan and everything like he is so charismatic in that scene but I was just like I am barely following how Kazuki is rich and what his relation is to Hideko and what the deal is with who's getting money and whatnot Um, but then it just settles into just basically just a giant character drama Um, yeah and I think I also think like even though it does this big info dump, and if even if you're not caught up on it, like the movie still doles out all the information for you a couple more times after that. So like even if you missed one part of the plan, you'll be like, oh, okay, I understand where we're at in terms of like what's happening right now. Yeah. Uh, especially when you get into like the fact that the movie repeats itself for part two, and you see scenes from the other side and understand how they're all fitting together. And right. it's just, it's just a beautifully constructed movie on yeah. so many levels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Namsuki thinks she's here to basically convince Lady Izumi Hideko to, to marry Count Fujiwara. Yes. Uh, and so she, she is fully expecting at the end of this to commit this person to a mental institution and take all of her dresses and basically yeah. make off like a rich person because she is, uh, raised by con artists, her mother was a con artist who was put to death for, for like the one thing she did wrong. Yes, the one time she got caught. And Fingersmith, the title of the book and the British show, while it sounds dirty and is probably on purpose, a uh, Fingersmith is a pickpocket. Just in case anyone is wondering. And yeah, like the opening scene being like, you know, I should be the one going to that Jap's house, and I was like, well, okay. Um, but you know, this little. Like they're they're taking abandoned babies, raising them and selling them to Japanese people who I assume can't have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, they establish very early on that she cares deeply and has great sympathy for children because she's an orphan, which will sort of play into what happens with her and Hideko later. But yeah, and and as I said, like Fujiwara's little, like he waltzes in. There's a secret key to a secret box with secret details, and then he just drops all this exposition. And the flippancy with which he just casually says, oh, and then I'll get her committed to to an insane asylum. I really like her friend is like, oh, I should go. I speak better Japanese, and I've worked as a maid before. And you think absolutely nothing of it on the first watch of part one. (laughs) And then it becomes clear why he wants Suki instead, because she can't read. She can speak it a little bit, but she's not. <laughs> and she doesn't speak good Japanese, yes. And I will say, another part of this, I got distracted with the subtitle thing, but another, like, things that are missed in nuance as a white dude growing up in the, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s, I am not 100% up on this period of history. Like, Japanese-occupied Korea is not something I have an awful lot of reference for. Um, and I'm sure that plays better in Korea um, than it is going to in other countries. But yeah, just some of the like politics of this, of like this Korean man who hates Korea and admires Japan and sold out his own country to get wealthy and then sells knockoff paintings and will later find out sells Japanese porn all very interesting and i kind of wish i knew a little bit more about it to sort of get yeah you get it. little bits and pieces like i think the first scene of of this cut is the group of japanese soldiers walking down the streets and mm. then they like they shout in japanese at the at the little children to like run away and stuff like that is this there is a sense of like occupancy yeah in yeah, this yeah, country. yeah yeah like 
Like I, I don't think. It well, ever like gets the seat, the, you like, know, the secret box under the stairs is very yes Nazi Europe kind of thing. You know, like, that's yeah, what but it's but it's to. not. I feel like it's not quite an indictment of it. It's kind of more playing into like uh, racial identity is something that's more important to the movie than kind of going through and going like, here's why Japanese was bad and South Korea was good. Well, yeah, like, I I think that is something I do know is that Japan essentially tried to eradicate Koreanness. So this dude who's literally cosplaying as Japanese and then being conned by someone who is doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, his, his plan is... So Kazuki's wife killed herself. He has no children. His wife's sister, sister died in childbirth and her daughter has been living with him since she was five and she will inherit all his money when he pops his clogs. He wants to marry her because he is not his he is not her blood uncle. Basically yeah. he wants to take all the money that she is owed from her southern family as part of like an inheritance right. because she is yeah, the, yeah. the last surviving heir. Yeah. It's a similar thing because obviously once the Fujiwara scheme goes through, hmm. then that becomes like he basically just goes and like grabs a giant duffel bag full of money. And <laughs> yeah, like, Look, I yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's like <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna go in as a handmaiden to basically be my person on the inside, nudge things in my favor, make her fall in love with me, and you can have some money and some dresses. Yeah, and and we get these like all these early scenes are because you don't know anything at this point. You just think that Suki's kind of going like, oh yeah, she's they're being cute together and she's kind of infatuated this with this kind of like childlike person who doesn't really know yeah. how to deal with the outside world yeah this this era of rich sheltered living doll type people you know like especially like we're literally you know, introduced to her to like by screaming in the middle of the night for her mother and she's got the doll in her bed and yeah. and i like that that then takes on another yeah, it's believable, you know, when we will later find out it's all for show. Um, because she's a woman, she's wealthy, she's in the country she's in, under a guy who has Japanese and British values. Like, yeah, it's all very good. I will say, it establishes a sense of humour that I wasn't expecting very quickly, with, like... Her hitting her head. Her hitting her head, falling out of bed... Like Hideko starts screaming again, and she's like, "Oh fucking hell!" <laughs> like, yeah, that, there's a... that is that is something in a lot of South Korean movies that you will find is that there will be random moments of oh, borderline slapstick. slapstick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, even in like later on when oh, we're going to jump around a lot because this is a very naughty and tie movie. But when uh. Hideko tries to kill herself, and... <laughs> yeah, she lets her go for a second. It's like Jesus Christ, come back. Yeah, throughout there are these little pockets of slapstick and like dark comedy. I mean, I feel that's the space he likes to play in. He likes to take some very extreme subject matters and visuals and then cut the tension a little bit with a, a little bit more of an absurd moment. Right, that's... Yeah, it, it's it's very definitely a South Korean thing because like having watched so many this year, there are moments of like. I literally watched Memories of a Murder a couple of weeks ago, and there is like a long extended scene where they're having a conversation whilst drunk, and the mm. amount of just slapstick and body humour that's going on in that scene, which is actually quite serious, and yeah. it's definitely just a style of filmmaking that happens in South Korea, and I think, because quite often 
Western movies kind of, they don't, they can't quite nail having funny stuff happen while serious things are happening around them. Yeah, they're very like, it has to be one or t'other. <laughs> I feel like TV is probably the area where like funny things can happen. Like yes. I think of stuff in like Mad Men and Breaking Bad, which can be incredibly funny whilst also being incredibly dark. Yeah. But like a lot of movies we make, they can't have like Walter White throwing the pizza on the roof as no. just a random cutaway gag and stuff like that. How's this going to play in middle America? Like blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. It has to, we have to say it's a comedy. We have to market it as a comedy. We have to say all of this. People are dumb, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I also like that when we learn she can't read, and she messes up. That she's trying to remember because he he's like narrating this uh, his letter that he's going to write her, like the the fake letter of recommendation as a handmaiden, and he he says that a good handmaiden is like chopsticks or something like that, where like they're not noticed, but to be without them is a disaster. And she's like, a handmaiden is like a spoon. <laughs> she just doesn't remember it. Yeah also fun and, and then her like her laughing and going like haha he's so nice and so kind to me like, <laughs> it's like no no read it it's like oh fuck <laughs> yeah yeah it's good stuff and like you know her rifling through all of her things as soon as she's out of the room and the weird first encounter mm. with the uncle the the scene where they go through the drawers and she's got like five drawers of gloves an and entire not... little box of drawers just for gloves and she's like nope 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 Nope, nope. <laughs> and I do like the moment later on when she just grabs any old pair and it's like mm. this is all being put on for show kind of thing that she's trying to put herself across as this very particular refined lady and it's like, oh, heavens no, not the light peach pair of gloves. It has to be the intense taupe mauve. Like, you know, like, and it's all just affectation. Um, but like, we even get some foreshadowing in this when she like finds the very heavy box with the rope inside it mm. and she's just like what's this and then also you get the the little brass balls that mm-hmm. he uses to like hit, hit her with yes amongst other things <laughs> yeah and as you know she says immediately she's like, oh god she should have told me he should have told me she's so fucking hot basically <laughs> and is like immediately flustered by her beauty i i do enjoy this as a difference to the book because i feel like whilst fingersmith is obviously written by a gay woman yes and the, the the relationship is very present in in that book as well. Mm. There is a level of kind of res- I don't know, like respectability or aloofness to how the relationship is portrayed. Which, yes. like, it's there, not it's, one of it's, desire. It's one of oh, we are drawn together as soulmates, kind of thing. Yeah, like you, you see at the moment where an awful lot of the the lesbian movies that are coming out in, in it's in always it's fucking always it's very posh lesbians. Or it's like, it's often a wealthy woman borderline preying on someone in a lower class group. Like, I think of Carol, you know, where, mm. yeah, she... Like, and it's always a period piece as well. It's always a period piece, lesbian. And that isn't to say that, like, I don't... I like Carol. I like I like Lady Carol, on yeah. Fire. Yeah. yeah, there's two types of lesbian. It's TV lesbian, which is, like, always very grungy, like, the L word, that kind of thing. Or it's movies where it's always a big period piece and it has to all be very chaste and very, like, oh, but they have a deeper romance. It can never be just like, no, women were fucking horny for other women, man. Deal with it. <laughs> like, yeah, and obviously this movie is a period piece, but it's, it is refreshing to have it not be two white women. Yeah. yeah. We will get into the kind of the squickiness of this movie being directed by a straight man, but yes, I think there are readings that can be read onto it, but we will get to that when we get to that. 
yeah, I, I know just, exactly I, what you mean. This, <laughs> so much of this, so much of this act one is just kind of building up this relationship between the two. Little glances, and... little. Uh, I mean, there, oh. you know, she's often like looking at her, and then she turns around and sees her, like seeing her in her reflection, and then obviously the bathtub scene. Yes, the bathtub scene is is possibly the hottest scene in the entire. Movie. <laughs> yes, just just thumbing her mouth. Yeah, and like you know, the extreme close-ups of. Like, her mouth basically, like, trying to not bite her own lip kind of thing. Like, close-ups of eyes, the light touch on the elbow, all of this stuff. Like, the incredible tension here. And, like, I feel a lot of movies treat it as, like, nudity is the big final buffer. Like, you know, this is all fine, but, oh, God, if I see her naked, that's just going to be it. And then, like, the way their relationship is set up, she has to see her naked a lot. Like, she bathes her and stuff. And it's like, she does have the little, like, the little glance down at her boobs. But, like, I don't know. I feel it's not treated as a, like, titillation thing. It's, like, it's more about these little touches and glances. The fact that after this scene in the bathtub, she still wears the thimble, like, on her (laughs) thumb in, like, other scenes and stuff like that. Like, I don't want to take this off. Like, this was a special (laughs) moment for me. Yes. Yeah. A special moment for us all, um, <laughs> to be frank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Fujiwara shows up to ruin it all. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like Fujiwara starts to kind of like aggressively proceed with the, the scheme quite quickly. I yeah. do, again, with the slapstick, the scene when Lady Hideko kind of comes into the, the room where they're eating dinner and he like stands up and kicks the chair back. Yeah, and, and then he's like, oh, you have to pre-rehearsed. like... Pre-rehearsed. Yeah, you have to like be like all out of breath and stutter and and go red it makes these uppity bitches feel superior basically (laughs) um i he is really charismatic um he is it's i mean i don't want to say it's a shame because you know characters are characters and like you know oh it's a shame he goes and gets really sexually aggressive but like for most of the first sort of half hour or so he's just really funny and like when he first arrives and like he gives her that little look of like, God, come on. And they will later on have little moments where like she's like pretending to retch as he's trying to like seduce Sadeko and stuff like that. And yeah. It's also like the the one person in her life who has had this like fully correct reading on her. Hmm. Like the fact that you get the scene later on when he's like, There is one person in this house who would not sleep with me. If I made a signal, there is one person in this house who would not sleep with me because she's gay. Is, is the reading on it, but like mm. it's never explicitly said that's the reason why. But he's just like, I could sleep with any handmaiden, any person in this house, and they would not bat an eyelid. Yeah, he's Tony Stark, baby. He can also paint, and you know who can't? Her. Fucking hilariously <laughs> bad at art, and I love that. It reminded me of Wes Anderson a bit, you know, in, in Grand Budapest, where like all of the paintings are like really like not classy kind of thing. Real funny. But yes, I mean again, like it, so much of this is foreshadowing and basically setting up your expectations for what the rest of the movie is going to be. Mm. But things start progressing really quickly. Like you get the scene where Fujiwara takes a bite out of the juiciest peach that I've ever seen. <laughs> it just explodes. <laughs> yeah. uh, not the first peach we're going to see coming up in the next couple of movies as well. So. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. god, I can't hear the word peach without thinking of uh, Face Off and Nicolas Cage ruining peaches forever. Um, yeah, like, fully ripe, and her... That's the signal, like that's the code word. If I say f- almost ripe or fully ripe, you have to arrange for us to be alone, kind of thing. 
them walking out to the middle of nowhere and they get to the location and Fujiwara just turns around and goes like, oh, I, we've got the wrong paints with us. Yeah. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, she she's fully on board with the plan when she shows up and then obviously she is falling for her and they have this sort of scene where she has sympathy for, like they're talking about her mother and how mm. she has this survivor's remorse kind of thing. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, the greatest thing is that she had you basically. And it's that thing of like, she has that sympathy for orphan babies and they, they have that, <laughs> you know, I wish that my breasts had milk so that I could feed you kind of thing. <laughs> but you know, poetry. <laughs> but yeah, um, and they're bonding and like, she starts just getting angry at his ploy and is like, you know, watching as Hideko's like batting his hand away and like storming through the part of the house she's not supposed to. After oh, yeah, when she's like fully in the rain and she's like throwing the mushrooms down that she's like picked and everything like that. Yeah, and like sprinting to fetch the oil paints so that she doesn't leave them alone for too long when really what he's saying is go away for the rest of the afternoon kind of thing. Um, just trying to basically foil it and like won't leave yeah. when he's like, oh, here's some money, go do something useful, and she puts it back. And it's like, oh no, she's fallen for her for real. Um, yeah, but then it's it's not until they have the conversation in like that really gorgeous avenue of trees mm. when he like convinces her to like, right, you need to stop fucking around. I know there is something deeper here, but yeah. you are going to get money at the end of this. And like, he puts her hand <laughs> on his crotch. And yeah, and I was like, oh, dude. <laughs> I can't like yeah. you anymore. Sorry, for sure. But, but, but then her comment is she walks away and goes like, and if you ever make me touch your pathetic joke of a cock again, yeah. I will. It's just like, oh. Yeah, good, good, good for you. And then they bone. And it's nice. And is this the first... <laughs> is this cinema's first vaginal point of view shot? <laughs> Prob- I don't think it is. But... Probably not, but one of the only ones I've ever seen. And I like that we see this scene twice and from different perspectives. You know, like, when we see it in Act 2, you see it from the ceiling and you see Hideko's mm. face. And I'm specifically thinking of, like, when she, like, like puts her mouth on her nipple, that kind of thing, where she's, like, we see her, yeah. like, lunging towards it and then you don't, you know, just the, the framework of it. I mean, it then uh, gets uh, a little yeah, bit overly... To... Uh, to, to basically put it in perspective, so in part one, it's this kind of like, there's not much nudity. It's kind of yeah, very, not, yeah, not yeah, chaste, because yeah. obviously it's explicit in what's going on, but like it's shot in such a way that like you don't see... It's any, stolen like, fleeting moments. It, it's it's cute little glances. It's like, oh, I, I have looked at you. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and, then, and then when you get to act two... borderline porn at one point. <laughs> exactly. You get to act two and the narrative becomes so much more porny in terms of like what's going on. Yeah. And I like it as perspective in terms of like, yeah. Suki is falling in love with this person. And yes. so we get this kind of, this loving sexual encounter between the two of them. Yeah, well, she's being tender with her and like, you know, it, and if you think about it in the full terms, she is putting all the moves on her basically of like... Yes oh, you know how cold my hands and feet are and stuff like that. And, oh, you will have to sleep in the bed. I can feel a nightmare coming on and stuff like that. What is it like to kiss What is it like to kiss a man? And <laughs> What will and, he do on my wedding night? Yes. And then I like that it's like this, you know, again, this chaste little kiss and then she pulls her back in and it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but then part two, when you have Izumi who has literally been brought up and her only idea of what sex is is from Japanese erotica yeah. and doing all these things, it it's so much more explicit, and it's like, this is how I know how sex works, versus yeah. Suki, who's like, 
this is my view on sex, and then we get the, like, yeah. it, look at all this shit that's going to go down. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, but, yeah, like, and again, like, with the with the chaste kisses, so, like, she accepts the proposal on the condition that she come with her to Japan. They have an angry argument when she's like, I love someone other than him, and Suki's like, no, you should, you should marry him. So she slaps yeah, she her gets, and throws she her out. very pissed, and then we just kind of cut away to them escaping yeah like the, with, with the the last piece of foreshadowing of them running underneath the tree and yeah. there's the rope yeah like, hanging from the noose i did pick up on that i was like oh why is there just a noose hanging from this tree um so kazuki goes away on business for a week and they rob him blind basically <laughs> and they go away to somewhere in japan and the count is preparing all the paperwork for the marriage and, and the transfer of the inheritance and converting everything into cash and all that and they are being spied on in this Japanese house. So it's like, I love that shot of like, I mean, again, more physical comedy as Fujiwara like shoves Suki's head out of the way on the night <laughs> of the, on the wedding night. And then in the morning they have that, you know, cause we have these like Japanese sliding doors and like Fujiwara comes out of them and then Suki like sticks her head through and they have this like secret kiss and then slide it back closed again. And then, there's this, like, shot, reverse, shot, reverse, shot between the three of them. And, yeah, it's all really, really good. And then they're, like, playing dress-up. And, again, it seems it seems like it's supposed to be, like, oh, we're having a fun, sexy time. Because they did it before, where it's like, oh, can you take my corset off? Oh, maybe you should put on some of these things. And it's, it reads as all very, like, erotic and, like, oh, we're touching each other's bodies and, and undressing each other. So you don't think anything of it. And then when you learn... <laughs> that it's a double cross and that she very deliberately played dress up so that they could sell the idea that Suki is the countess and that she is the handmaiden and then when you learn even further that they're doing this because they're being spied on so they're trying to sell the idea that they don't know what's going on like it's this three-layered little moment as as they head towards the asylum and yeah the big double cross Fujiwara says that Suki is his crazy wife who needs to be locked away because she's hysterical yeah, and has she, emotions <laughs> yes yeah. exactly and they she's come and interview her and they're like oh what do you think about her and she's like oh she needs to be locked up for her own good and yeah she's wearing the the clothes and everything and, yeah and... she's wearing the nice clothes and azumi sat there like doing some sewing yeah, in the background exactly. like, this entire scene. and that's what i love about so many of these movies where things are happening in the background that layer into your understanding of what's going on like it's yeah they're building just... a world it's not just the one action i am showing you is the only important thing it's like the geography as i said as we said before the geography of the house um is one thing and then also just like the construction of a, of a shot with things in the background are equally as important as the foreground mm. he's a yeah, good director it's... i don't know if i've <laughs> said that but so when i was watching this with my partner because she hadn't seen it before mm-hmm. We got up to the end of Act 1, and it's like an hour into the movie. And she turns and goes like, how much longer of this film have we got? Because it feels like it's barreling towards a conclusion. At yeah, this point. kind of, yeah. I, and I was very like, oh, maybe Act 3 will be Fujiwara or something. And I, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe it's like these big three characters. It is disproportionately weighted, like Act 3 is... Well, well I mean, for instance, the BBC adaptation is two parts, and they basically just package three into the end of two. And one and two are definitely more heavily weighted than three. But no, yeah, it, it's very cool. I, I really like the way he plays it out because you have three separate understandings of what's going on kind of thing. 
well, I don't know, he's starting to reveal. It would have been cool to see all of part two play out with Hideko's deceptions, and then part three be the one where we learn that they're both fully in on it. But, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I, I'm i bummed that I remembered this big twist. <laughs> I, th- I think that is that is the most important thing. Is it, like, It's I'm devastatingly sure that... acted, like, when she oh, yeah. realises what's going on, and they're both tearful, and again, that will take on more meaning later. And then, then we hard cut to Hideko in her, like, very first reading practice, where oh, it's like, God. you're going to learn how to read Japanese. And it starts so innocent, because again... We don't know any of this. Like, as far as we know, until the the destruction of all the books, Suki has no fucking clue what yeah, Hideko like she does. Just knows that she, delivers, she delivers Hideko to the room with her uncle, and they do some reading. And she's not allowed in, because, like, we skipped over it but earlier on, like, Suki, like, wanders into the library. And, yeah, because Suki kind of, like, does the thing where, like, stay out, and then Hideko has to, like, slam the there's like a, there's like a There's, like, a trap door, like a emergency door kind of thing and there's the little statue of the snake and you must not pass the guardian the guardian of in- information or whatever it, it feels very christian indebted in terms of like the Doesn't snake it? and the, the, <laughs> the, the, the like distortion of women and like how they're the pure evil and all the rest of it and yeah. but like, yeah like this whole it, other side of hideko and like you know as you said like she she comes across as this like living doll and this like juvenile person and then you're like oh no, she's had the most fucked up life in the world and she's actually very mature. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. wild. I don't know which I prefer, part one or part two, to be honest. There, there are very strong elements of both. Yeah, I think I like this just for in terms of how it all unravels. Yes. And yes. I think like, Kim Min-hee is like really good because she gets to do a bit more difference in her acting. Like, for sure. Like, she's doing all of the like hysterical sheltered odd you know idiosyncratic woman in part one and in part two you see this more like cold calculating. yeah like, like cold is the word that like she comes across as this like not dead behind the eyes that's harsh but you know like it's like there is a level she is capable of cruelty and you wouldn't yeah. think the part one version of Hideko is and they they really play up the cold aspect physically and emotionally <laughs> Yeah, uh, just yeah, seeing her growing up, uh, growing up in the house, seeing her beaten by her uncle, made to sleep with no light, denied hearing Japanese, all of that stuff, and so her aunt is still alive in those scenes, and seeing her first entrance when she just sort of wanders in, she, it's kind of horror movie esque, like she comes across as this really scary individual, and we start to get, and this repeats like some repeated dialogue kind of thing where she she will say how she doesn't compare to her sister and in act one we saw Hideko talking about her mother um and they're talking about the same woman obviously but like they will do this thing where you see where lines of dialogue came from kind of thing mm-hmm. um like we'll see a turn of phrase just... used between two people and then it will be repeated to a different set of people kind of thing. Um, I, I knew that you would enjoy this because you are someone who very much enjoys like a structural, yeah, yeah, a playful movie. Like it's why you like Memento so much on like its first watch, yes, as well. I also like, yeah, I like anything where everything we understand about it flips on its head, kind of thing, mm-hmm. gaining new perspective on events we've already seen, 
Um, and yeah, I, I, in theory, like a big structured thing like that as well. But yeah, because yeah, like... this, this first half, you start to see all those hints. As you say, you get the absolutely horrific scene where like they're sat there doing the reading. The, the blackout happens and then the aunt makes a run for the door. <laughs> and like it's all done in this one shot and then very calmly. the I love how calmly she just comes back and like how slowly <laughs> she's coming down the little stairs in the corner and they all just say nothing of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, because this is, this is when we get to see a lot more of Madame Sasaki who like we know is the, the person who's in charge of the house but you get all this backstory that like she was originally married to Kazuki he divorced her to marry <laughs> just a Japanese woman. Doesn't care. A, who. a Japanese woman. <laughs> and like apparently this hasn't rubbed to their relationship enough because Kazuki yeah, they... still sleeps with Suzaki. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And like they've got this like co running the household together where they're both yeah. incredibly demanding of these two people. But yeah. the power structures are so interesting. So you have Hideko hitting the the staff of the household and stuff yeah. like that for for doing bad things, she is stopped by Suzaki, and then, like, Suzaki tells her off, and then Hideko just gets up on a high step and then slaps Suzaki in the face, because, like, <laughs> I'm still in charge of you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like, not something we think she's even capable of. Like, they, part one, oh, she's so delicate. She's She doesn't know what anyone wants. Like, you, you could be pulling on her nipples, and she wouldn't know what you wanted from her. <laughs> and then you see her fucking slapping the servants and you'll later see her doing the same as an adult when because when Suki arrives she's kind of being hazed by the other handmaidens kind of thing and then that just stops and we don't even think anything of it and then it's like no it stopped because she fucking punished them all um it's like fucking leave her alone we need her for this plan kind of thing yeah. you stole the shoe you're you the one that stole the shoe then you will do absolutely nothing or I will kick you out of this yeah. this household yeah, yeah. So in terms of the reading practice, obviously mm. they kind of slow rolls it. Because the first one is, you think they're reading like a little innocent children's book. Yeah, man. And it's kind woman. of like... It's like, okay, obvious logical things to learn. And then penis, vagina. It's like, ah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and then and then the close-up of like the anatomical like zoomed in, where it's like literally a magnifying glass zoomed in on this thing. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah so like, okay, this is, this is going somewhere. And then the full reveal of like her dolled up as a geisha, essentially. And just reading horny smart for some repressed mostly i assume japanese businessmen and and well-to-do men while they just sit there like mentally masturbating Um, (laughs) he looked into her jade gate and it's like oh god (laughs) jade gate you know before you know what really happened you you it's like oh the aunt killed herself because this is a super fucked up thing that she had to do before Hideko and then had to start training Hideko to do it. It's like, of course she fucking killed herself. But then, of yeah. course, she didn't kill herself. But No, it, it left so many layers of <laughs> yeah. like, just how fucked up that It's super fucked is. up. Like, the uncle's sitting in the corner and it's like, you know, I think it becomes pretty explicitly clear towards the end that he does get his jollies out of it. But at this point, it's just sort of like, you know him in the corner just sort of making sure the whole evening is going as planned kind of thing and he's just watching all the men sit there and like some of them are just sort of trying to play it cool some of them are eager and then there's like the guys who are like just closing their eyes and just they would be just touching themselves if they yeah. could I, um, I, so Chojin Wung is playing Uncle Kazuki and I love that it's just a man in old age makeup like he is two years older than Fujiwara in real life yeah but he comes and across like, as 
yeah, authentically a horny old pervert. Like. <laughs> he does, and it's just I just like that they basically are just old aging up this guy, and there's no reason really why they couldn't have just hired another actor for it. But he's just he so impressively like portrays this like age and horny mentality to it. Yeah. Throughout, and I love just the, the odd look of his like mismatched eyebrows and hair in terms of like, the coloring and stuff like that. And then whenever he sticks out his tongue, and it's just black from the ink because he spends all his time like writing yeah. copies of these books and stuff like that. Because like he basically he he gets a gold mine in exchange for helping the Japanese, and he basically funnels all of that money into collecting porn. The only way he can make money is if he sells forgeries, which is why he ends up in this this friendship with Fujiwara. Because Fujiwara's like, oh, I can fake the paintings and we can sell on other versions so you can keep an original copy for yourself in your library, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just a big con man. <laughs> just yes. sells fake paintings done by, presumably, Fujiwara. Well, yeah, because like, Fujiwara gets that line where it's like, I spent years learning how to paint so mm. that I could do this, like this is so I could draw a hentai porn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is such a long, thick, long con for him. Like he's found this person in Korea who mm. is so intently focused on becoming Japanese that he literally, like, I don't think he's been to see like Suki for years at the at the like baby exchange, and like when he shows up, he's like, I've literally been in Japan for three years learning how to paint so expressly so I can go con this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, like. And there's the weird mannequin moment where it's oh. like, oh, the illustration was torn out, so we'll recreate it for you visually, kind of thing. It's like, I'm glad you didn't go the whole hog and make her fuck someone, <laughs> but a weird moment. Last thing is, like, Eve, she's obviously doing all these things, and you do get all these scenes, and you did text me to go, like, is she Yeah, we see this? these moments where, like, they're spanking her and then like oh maybe you should be spanked instead and then what would you do for 10 minutes alone with her kind of thing and it's like i i i realized that it's matching with what she's reading but then i was like but is he pimping her out as well and no i don't think but yeah it's all very uncomfortable and intense and yeah yeah. if he is it isn't for like actual sex so i think the the implication is still hideko is a virgin yes like throughout the entire thing and anything that she does sexually if she does anything sexually is for beatings or like these ancillary things that yep. kind of build up to yep. to what's going on pain play all of that yeah and then yeah fujiwara and kazuki have their little discussion about why are you so horny for japan basically and he's like korea is ugly and yeah that yeah and and we learn that he left his wife for a japanese woman and yeah, and, and and the whole thing about the only woman that would refuse him, body cold as stone, years of training, making love to a corpse, all of these kinds of... Yeah, I, I do like that he's just like, would would Sasaki sleep with you? And he's like, yeah, of course. Of course she I gave her that. Look at me. <laughs> I'm fucking hot, man. I understand the reading, that she wouldn't sleep with him because she's a lesbian, and given the conclusion of the movie and, and everything, I fully understand that reading. I read it as she finds sex utterly repellent because of the way she has been introduced to it and the practices she does and she finds sex in general, particularly heterosexual sex, because that is presumably all that is described in these things, to be repellent. And that Suki being gentler and opening her to a sort of different type of sex 
makes like all this stuff about she's cold and like yeah i mean i'm not saying i'm not trying to dismiss the oh he knows she's a lesbian of it all but i I read it more as as that i think you can read both onto it i think you could go like she is so uninterested in sex like you she's desensitized to the point where like i've exactly read so much of this shit i do not care at this point like Like, since a child and like i've been conditioned to deliver it in this way, like, he says years of training, like, she is deliberately supposed to come across as, I, again, I assume this is supposed to be sort of fogacia kind of thing. It's inherently sexual, but not explicitly sexual kind of thing, in, in her yeah. portrayal kind of thing, that she has to sit there as a good little living doll and read the porn for the men. So that's that's how I read it, and, that, like, and, like, she doesn't know little... she's a lesbian yet kind of thing. Yeah, but like, the little fucking, like, napkin that she's got in her like shoulder to like wipe oh, the sweat from herself and <laughs> i do i do want to take a moment and just say like this library is fucking gorgeous oh yeah fucking beautiful yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the mats covering up the water oh god and... why don't why western architecture failed quite frankly <laughs> i want secret little water chambers under my it's just, i mean it reminds me a lot of the parasite house in just terms of like they built this set and i mm. wish we did more things like this where it's like there are two fucking locations for this movie yep. and we are just going to build a location that is perfect to move a camera around inside yeah. and looks fucking gorgeous and we, I, think, I think we will get another one in a few weeks that is yes. vaguely similar to that not as good as this i don't think but but, you know. but it is yeah like we, we are building a location that yeah. you can tell the geography and just by watching it and yeah. we're gonna spend a lot of time in this yeah the ship in firefly like you know mm. it's important i'm shocked more places more films and tv shows don't do this where like I think it's because like they go to location shots like it's it becomes important to find a real house and shoot in a real house or like there's enough scenes in different locations that yeah. like you don't necessarily want to focus on one place but for something like this where, but, like, then, the entire... but then we've talked about like a huge problem with like marvel movies and western action is there isn't a sense of location like they don't go to location they do film on green screen it's like why don't you just build a real cool fucking avengers mansion and set a whole film within avengers hq or something weird and, and fun held, like that a lot cheaper than some of the stuff that you do exactly you could do a really fucking fun like I'm shocked that we have not had an X-Men movie which is just them trapped in the X-Mansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the danger room has revolted and all of the exits have been closed. Like, uh, there's a virus in Jarvis, so Avengers Tower is locked down. We've made you a horror movie. Go. Bearing in mind that I have not seen (laughs) New Mutants yet, so I do not know whether or not that is their attempt at doing this. I have not heard good things. But yeah, like, all of this and... Some of the di- some of that dialogue, as I said, repeats. So when they're talking about body as, as cold as stone and, and making love to a corpse, Hideko said some of that to Suki as her like trepidations about, oh, I don't know if I could please a man because I'm so cold and yeah, I don't want him to think. This scene because yeah. she's so fascinated by who this Fujiwara is. For like, whatever reason, this is someone who strikes her as different. They're drawn to each other. Like they're too. I mean, she, I don't think she is a con. Well, I guess you could argue she's a con man because she's been raised to be one, and I think. Kazuki is one as well. He's just dumb, and those two are smart. <laughs> so they kind of are immediately drawn to each other, and that, like, you know, he <laughs> he calls her captivating. Like, that's what men say when they want to fuck people, basically. Yeah. And he's and she's like, I I get what Western seduction is, and he says the thing about, oh, it's alright, it's like a reflex, like, pulling a hand back from a flame, and again, she says that to Suki. Yeah, Yeah, and and then just telling her the whole honest truth, like, oh yeah, I came here to scam you, lock you up in an asylum, take all the money, but how about we go halves? (laughs) 
And it's that thing, I feel this always comes up in, like, con movies and stuff like that, where, like, if you know that you have established your relationship in a place of tricking and conning and lying, why would you ever trust each other? And they don't, and they will, and inevitably everyone always turns on each other, and it's just fun to see, but, like, you know, he says how I knew immediately the plan wouldn't work, and she's like, yeah, because you, it's impossible to seduce me, basically. And again, you know, we've talked about our separate readings of that, but yeah, and like that, he predicts also that she plans to kill herself at some point. And you know, we we we've seen the rope and we've seen the tree and everything. That she reveals the torture basement. Oh well, we don't see it. We see her looking at it. She one day basically figured out her aunt didn't kill herself because she's yeah, a smart she, child. She, she asked the question of like, I've read these books. It says when you hang yourself, you void your bowels and. And your mouth opens, and her mouth was closed, and her butt was clean. It was like, okay, yeah. Um, Right, come look at my basement. Shut the fuck up forever, please. The thing is, like, (laughs) I like how subtle this is. They never make what happened explicit. You just Mm -hmm. get, like, the three separate things you kind of have to piece together. Like, the fact that the painting they've got of the woman with the octopus is wearing the earrings Mm -hmm. that the aunt used to wear. Mm -hmm. The fact that there is something in the basement that is supposed to scare her because of what it did to the aunt and the final reveal just in the background not even just openly giant fucking octopus tank yeah um and it's like yeah i murdered her by feeding her to an octopus to be raped to death and it's like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah um well he sure does love japan so stereotypes (laughs) I i like that he's got look obviously it's a fairly famous image yeah of that one like yeah in the darkest realms of the internet someone will bring up that this is a, a fairly famous japanese painting mm-hmm. that they've got a fake of that he's obviously produced with the 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 aunt standing in with the earrings yeah and you don't think too much of it yeah it always, oh, it's just like the subject must stay that. still and i've trained them to stay still and be cold yes Fujiwara, like we see at this point, he paints little sexy ladies and rolls them as cigarettes, and like that's important for later. Um, well, you also get obviously the very important moment where you see the inside of a cigarette case, and he's got three blue, blue. ones. Yes, 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 yes. And that's at the point where we start seeing the events of part one playing out from her point of view. That it's her scheme to to rope in a a a sucker a, like a, think, a patsy this is my favorite section of the movie. yeah yeah, yeah it's just for all sure. of these things playing out again like for sure the scene of her like tapping the doll's head on the door to freak suki out thinking that something's going on yeah. when she first arrives faking the, the screams like the the making the fact- her read a letter that actually says right here's the here's the 411 on suki here's how you trick her knowing she can't read it yeah, sh- show her all of your shit immediately. I love that she pretends she's got a headache, so she hasn't been able to read the letter, but she's read it in, like, the five seconds it's been open, yeah. like, before it's even settled down into her. And, yeah, like, she coerces her, and, like, we see all those scenes where she's trying on all the jewellery and everything, and you're just like, oh, this is funny. Just this poor girl being like, oh, look at all this rich girl shit, and then it's actually a full-on, like character manipulation where it's like yeah she's an orphan who desires finer things like show her all of your fancy stuff as much as you can yeah and it, it gives import to like the glove scene again where it's yeah. like she's not doing it because you can't settle on it she's doing it because look like, how many I, gloves i have <laughs> look how many gloves you could have yeah i do really like the kind of the creeping sexuality of this section because as i said earlier like mm. she spent all her life immersed in porn and so she thinks this is how it is so when you get the bathtub scene again mm. 
it goes on longer this time and it's not this kind yes. of chase moment instead it's like get in the bath with me and yeah and then they do cut away and it's like oh okay <laughs> i really like the the feeling up scene where when we saw it first time he's making advances on her she said no no get off me no 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 it's all very chaste and they're actually just openly saying like oh yeah i know you hate me and like oh, I just want, you know, for as much as I think you're hot, and like, oh, does it really shock you that I could crave your body? But then also like, but all I care about is your money and stuff like that. And like, that they're having this kind of frank, almost funny conversation. Yeah, and she's, <laughs> she's batting him away, not because she doesn't want him to touch him there, but because he's like, what she's saying is so repellent. Yeah, it's just like, oh, f- shut up. <laughs> she's like, shut up, Fujiwara, kind of thing. It's not this... Because and yeah. I can't, uh, do they know that Suki's watching at the window? They have to at this point because uh, th- that's the thing. Is it feels for it everyone. feels performative, which is going to come up in a moment. But yeah, that they basically hate each other and that they're sort of just putting everything on for a for show. And we see that scene where like he talks to Suki in the woods, and Hideko's actually watching. And he knows she's watching, and you know all these sorts of things, and it just takes on all this multi-layered thing. And like, at first, it's like, oh no, because we know where it ends up, where like they shove her in the insane asylum. But like, it comes across as like, yeah, she's fully just vindictively playing her. But then it's basically the exact same plot. Like, she is beginning to genuinely fall for her, and she's like, oh, why is she stomping around? Why does she give a shit? It's like, oh wait, I think she likes me, and maybe I like her. And they, we see more of the sex scene and i know there is some backlash to the way the the nature of the sex scenes and it always will be this way when you have a straight man directing women and like i would i think for i would say 90 percent of the sex and the nudity in the movie is done either tastefully or beautifully or hornily like in, in in a good way the one scene I'm like, mm, is scissoring? Because scissoring is fake. <laughs> like, scissoring yeah, is scissoring for men. Is, scissoring is not a real thing that people do. No, it uh, is for men. However, I it looks think... Great. It Well, it does look great. Cinematically. As, but just in terms of like, cinematically, like, the idea of the yeah. two of them being mirror images, like, so much of it is like when they're 69ing, it's like, yeah. look at them, they're, look, they're so similar. And, like, Another one scissoring, it's, where to be, like, it's more for porn and appearance than I think people practically actually do it that much. I think that mm. one is more done than scissoring is, but I think the practicalities of it are, you take your turns, you don't actually attempt to do that. But I think that is sort of intentional i hope it's intentional is that it is supposed to be performative because they are both they're both trying to con each other and also like i believe one of the things to deco reads is scissoring so yeah, I mean, that, again that's that's what i appreciate is like she has grown up watching porn and so yeah the sex moves that she instigates are out of her playbook, yeah. <laughs> out of her playbook. And it's so much yeah. more interesting, because obviously, like, we, we know that Suki has had sex with guys before, and so she is kind of, like, yeah. taking on a masculine role in what presumably guys have done to her. Yeah. And then yeah. Hideko starts to, like, take over and go, like, well, I've read 17 billion pornos, <laughs> so... Yeah, and I could, you know, I think, yeah, that is the scene where it does start to get a bit overlong and a bit, like... At this point, are we just doing this to be like, ha, look, girls doing it? But yeah, I, I, mean, it's, I it's think not as it bad is... as 
it's not as bad as blue is the warmest color, which I think is like the <laughs> ultimate version of like straight man yeah. directing two women to kind of have sex in a way that isn't realistic. And yeah. the fact that like he has done movies since then which have been utterly panned for their mm-hmm. female sexuality, like his Mech to My Love into Mezzo, I think is a 212 minute long movie which is just gyrating asses in a nightclub. <laughs> And like yeah. uh, it's it's I mean I'm looking at it now it has a ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes excellent and it's like Park Chan Wook is not like he hasn't done a follow up yet but like he ha- like uh, you you look at his movies and it doesn't feel like there is a it hatred of women or a I don't think it is from a place of perversion or like yeah like misplaced ideas I I I would hope that the generous reading is the correct one, in that this is a deliberate choice, that it is mm-hmm. supposed to be performative. And also just all of the scenes playing out a little bit different, you know, because part one is presenting it as, this is a very chaste thing, it wasn't supposed to happen like this, like, she's supposed to just help her, like, fall in love with Fujiwara, and it's like, oh no, along the way, we have fallen in tender love, and this is a beautiful thing. And then part two is like, Hideko is a fucked up individual. She knows more than you think she does. And, like, here is some fucking kind of thing. <laughs> like, yeah. this isn't tender for her. Well, I think that's the point, is it does become... T- she. They both get caught up in their own con, and they both fall for each other for realsies, is, is the reading. But it's like, no, this is where we're going to drop some of the pretense, and we're going to show you this, like, the sort of uglier truth behind it. And I think that is the point, is that yeah. that's why you're seeing more sex, and you're seeing more explicit sex, is because of that. Um, yeah, and I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, we want more films directed by queer people, directing, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. directing sex in general. It's why the sex in Portrait of a Lady on Fire is so much better than this, because yeah. Celine Sciamma is is a gay woman, yeah. and the squickiness from that comes from the fact that like she's directing her ex-girlfriend in this <laughs> oh very spring breakers <laughs> yeah and i would say i think their final scene is quite beautiful like the it, it's really well shot with them both just naked and embracing each other with mm. like the lighting as it is in this like fine ship cabin and all that and then you know again another thing from her playbook but it's presented in a more like genuinely erotic way than when yeah. she's just doing like, stuff. You, you get the inversion of like the fact that she's told to suck on the, the bell earlier on in the movie and mm-hmm. it's like I will now take this thing that was pain and make it into into pleasure. And maybe some pain but consensual who knows? <laughs> but yeah I, I think overall he's threading the needle but I can understand how watching this you'd be a bit like hmm great. I think, I think there is a version where you cut out like one of the positions they get into and <laughs> it, it becomes a lot more palatable in terms of the length it goes on to. But we then get the the inverse of like, obviously the next day is when they have the fight where <laughs> Suki is convinced to kind of like fully commit they've had sex. Fujiwara's like, just we need to get this done. And she basically throws Hideko's confession of love to her in her face. And so Hideko kicks her out of her room, picks up the rope and then goes to hang herself on the tree. Yeah, she sure does, and it makes, you know, I immediately flash back to when they ran past the, you know, the, the noose in the tree, and I was like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, like, I could kind of see it coming, well, obviously you can see it coming, because we know she's not dead, but I was like, she's gonna drop, and then she'll still be there, and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what happens. The Suki catches her, and is like, don't kill yourself. 
I love the framing of that scene where yeah. she comes down, she's hanging on with both arms, comes down from the tree, and like she's a bit too high, and like, you can see the slack in the noose, yeah. and just like this sigh on her face, and she's just like, just, just drop me. Like, why, why are <laughs> you doing sake. this? Yeah. And, and Suki's just like crying her eyes out at this point, <laughs> like, don't do it. I'm sorry. I love and then you. she drops Suki. She's like, uh, what? <laughs> I'm not Suki. I'm Tanako. I'm Okja. I'm whatever. Yeah, and then basically just both confessing to each other, letting her go again, as we said, is is darkly hilarious. And then because she just she's just so angry at Fujiwara, so she's just like fuck him. I'm yeah, so mad. Yeah. And then we get this beautiful scene where she destroys the library, basically. Yeah. Um, and you get Deco talking about like of all the people he could have sent me, like he chose my savior, kind of thing, um, like my Suki, and she's just sort of like. You can see this, like, conditioning that, like, in the library she has to behave herself kind of thing, even when he's not around. And she's just sort of, like, paralysed watching her. Like, I can't believe you're doing this. And then, yeah, like... Yeah, I, I do love that Suki's, like... Suki is fully understands what's going on. She's like, God, you've been abused by men your entire life. Because mm-hmm. she sees what she's been reading, and she's like, this is disgusting. You've been forced to read this your entire life. Yeah. What the fuck is this? And just, like, the... the painting over like all these paintings and throwing all the books into the water and throwing the red ink and yeah stomping on it all and yeah it's gorgeous like this beautiful set they constructed and then telling them rip it apart (laughs) yeah yeah it's fun i do i do want to go like uh joe young wook is the person who did the score it's a fucking Mm, phenomenal score like one of one of my favorite scores of of the decade like particularly in that scene it's like really swelling yeah it's, it's great and Again, it brings out all this... It's what I didn't expect, is that, like, they would both be in on it on the day that she goes, kind of thing, where it's, like... I expected it to play out as Suki's con is part one, Hideko's con is part two, and then whatever's happening in Fujiwara would be part three, and I didn't expect it to be, like, a full confession, and, like, right, this is what our plan is, and then they still go through with it, and it's like, hmm, well, how are we going to get you out of here, kind of thing? And all the stuff with, like, you know they're being spied on, and we know they are, which is why they continue to... Because, you know, part one, well, when you start to learn the truth in part two, you're like, oh, God, she fully tricked her. She made them play dress-up and stuff like that. And then it's like, but if they both knew, why did they do that? And it's like, yeah, because they've been spied on and everything like that. So they're trying to sell it for yeah. Fujiwara. It's interesting. And then... Yeah, I, and I do love the the scene where, like, she she's going to leave the property for the first time and can't bring herself to, like, step over the wall. Mm. And, and she and makes her the little kind of... stairs out of the brief- yep. the suitcases. And, and then then the drop that she does, where she yep. just drops out of frame. Yeah, oh, and, like, after we've just had a, like, almost hanging scene, like, it's all very thematic. Yeah, it's all gorgeous, this whole stretch. A cherry blossom tree is obviously a home run, always, cinematically, but, yeah, all of this and the library and the and the dropping off the off the wall like that. Is all great and uh, yeah, and then part three. It's yeah, this bit... is again like we do this so often where it's like this <laughs> is the knocking over dominoes yeah, section yeah. of the movie where it's like everything that's been set up kind of pays off. So you do have this, you open with this great scene where Fujiwara and Hideko are like in the restaurant. Mm. Her contempt for him is so apparent throughout yeah. this entire scene. I did briefly think this is going to be what I thought it was. We're going to get Fujiwara's past because he tells the story of how he got this sort of sarcastic name of the Count because he had no fucking table manners, basically. Um, and that they basically taught him to be a refined gentleman or whatever. And 
I thought we were going to get flashbacks, but instead... There is only one flashback in this sequence, which is to their wedding night, where we get the full context mm. of like, what happened there. But that's the only yeah. timey-wimey thing that goes on. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I wanted that at the start. Or maybe when we moved to the beginning of part two, I thought I wanted that. I thought I wanted Suki's story, Hideko's story, and Fujiwara's story. But I think by the end of part two, it's like, this is about these two. Fujiwara is just mm. a piece in that game. And I and no longer think there's room for his story as well. But yeah, like just the open contempt for each other. He wants to swap their identities and, and get married for real. He's actually fallen for her. She says, what does a crook know about love? Which Suki said to him earlier. And again, the ladies are clever, the men are dumb. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then this whole, like, trying to poison him thing. Uh, yeah, because like, he knew that she was so close to killing herself. He gives her the little vial of... Very of Romeo opium. and Juliet, you know. Mm. This number of drops will do this, and this number of drops will kill you kind of thing. Uh, yeah, like, he can never take you to his murder dungeon because you have secret poison you can hide on you at all times. And she puts it into the drink. And, you know, he is initially quite suspicious of her seduction, because he's like, nah, I don't believe you actually want it. Like, you don't have the look of someone who actually wants to fuck. I do want to I do want to bring up the thing where, like, he's got all the money that he's managed to get out. Yeah, he just, just pours it on, it on himself. <laughs> like, yeah, of and course. Then, like, when, he, when he gets up and walks to the door, it's all one camera shot, so you see the money, like, floating off his body as yeah, he, like, yeah, walks yeah. the door. And it's, it's great, like, oh. yeah. And, like, you know, it's typical man. Like, initially, he's smart and he's got the situation right. And then he's a big dum-dum who thinks with his dick and he falls <laughs> he falls for it. Oh, look, she's kissing me and spitting wine into my mouth. Oh, she's baby-birding me the wine. That's not suspicious in any way. <laughs> it's a hot, sexy thing that's happening. And... Uh, I was like, um, why are you drinking that? I was like, oh, no, okay, that's why you're drinking that. And then, like... She times it out on the watch, which we saw earlier, like, you must come and get me at, at noon or whatever. And then, like, my pervasive thought here was, like, you're really lucky he gave you the real thing. Like, that he wasn't just, like, oh, yeah, here's some stuff, and it's just nothing. And, like, what if... I mean, I don't want to think about that, but, you know, like, <laughs> she got kind of lucky there. But, yeah, like... And that's the thing, is like... I... I think he thinks that what he's doing is consensual in, in yeah, yeah, yeah. some I think he just thinks way. that, like, she likes it rough kind of thing. That, like, this is how women like it. And, like, some women do like it rough. And some women, like, don't at all. And some people like it contextually, I think, is the biggest thing. Yeah, and some women don't want it at all and will poison you. And, and <laughs> leave you half-naked to be found by some heavies, yeah. <laughs> Suki is broken out of the asylum by her friends... I'm so glad we don't get the baby swapping stuff yeah. from Fingersmith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, um, like, the, 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 the woman in charge of, of the little thieves' den is, like, she breaks into the, the mental institution and basically they set it on fire and they bring in, like, fireproof outfits, douse themselves in water so they can run out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in the book it's like, I'm actually Hideko's mother, and it's just like, this is... Yeah, this is you, a step you, too you've, far. <laughs> you've taken this and made it like 17 layers more complicated than it needs to be. Like, yeah. this movie's complicated, but... I think it's hard to know when to pull back when you're doing a mystery type thing, because it's like, you don't want to make it so obvious that, like, it's not compelling, but then you don't want to lay it on too thick, and it's hard to know when you already know what happens, it's going to seem more obvious and, than and it I is. And I don't want to and... disparage like Sarah Waters. It's a, it's a great book that I mm. really enjoyed reading, but coming out of this, where so much of the runtime is focused on Suki and Hideko's relationship, yeah. and then going to Fingersmith, where like a good portion of the plot 
by necessity has them apart and not actually bonding i'm a little bit disappointed in it after watching this where like mm-hmm. even though there are odds they do get a lot of like time where they're actually like seemingly in a relationship that seems to be supportive and yeah. and loving which yeah. i did miss when reading fingersmith because like, the the second part of fingersmith is not flashing back and flashing out all the stuff that happened in part one it is the the Hideko like in in Victorian London mm. learning all of the plot stuff to do with the fact that she was swapped at birth and, yeah. and like oh London's rough and like you're not cut out for this and yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and like we get this brief little moment where like you know she's wearing a fake mustache and they forged a passport and they're off to Shanghai and I actually think while I think Fujiwara I like I said there isn't room for Fujiwara and this shouldn't be Fujiwara's flashback, but I actually think Fujiwara makes this whole... He is, like, the star of this third act because him getting tricked, him playing with the money, him waking up half-naked while two dudes are standing over him, him smoking in the car where they're like, don't fucking smoke, you dick, and then they just both, like, unwind the window. (laughs) I like that he smokes two cigarettes at once because he's trying to make sure he burns through them to get to the blue ones, obviously, and then this little torture scene where Kazuki is cutting his hands or his fingers off with the like antique guillotine type thing and the huge octopus tank and basically borderline masturbating and demanding more details about how he fucked his niece and then we see the real one is that she just masturbated in front of him and like had a little knife to make sure he didn't touch her and then cut her hand because we saw that like this oh so like I feel it's a bit of a cliche, but you know, like the the spot the the spots of blood on the bed when a woman has been deflowered. Um, like, yeah, yeah. The, 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 virgin, the first time you have sex, like there must be blood on the sheets, or Which otherwise, like isn't... it's it's proof it's proof that she was chased beforehand. And it's like, yeah, 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 and it's like you know, like I I know it does happen, but it's not this thing where it like always happens kind of thing. And yeah, 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 and like I think Kazuki. I don't think he's ever bad in it, but like I feel this is really like a strong scene for him, where he's ha- he's really committing to this horny old pervert character, um, and just sort of like, no, but did she do this? Did this happen? Perhaps maybe this happened. It's like, well, I mean, do you just want to tell it yourself too? Like <laughs> the the juxtaposition of of Fujiwara's lie and what actually happened, and asking for more cigarettes for more details, like knowing he's got him here, where it's like, ah. Okay, I've reclaimed a position of power here because this dude wants me to fucking basically jerk him off. And and like the point where he goes like, oh, this this room doesn't have any windows in it. Hmm, <laughs> interesting. Can I have another cigarette? And like you notice the blue ones and yeah, he mercury laced cigarettes, taking his own life, but also to kill Kazuki. And as he says, at least I'll die with my cock intact because it does seem the next point was going to be to cut that off or yeah, to put him in the tank. Yeah, all the jars or... that are full of like penises and vaginas that he's procured <sighs> somehow. Yeah. Again, like having having watched all of the Vengeance trilogy this yeah. year and how violent those movies get, mm. it's weird watching Park do this kind of like, obviously there are penises in jars and his yeah, fingers yeah. are chopped off. But, but it has a kind you... of sillier nature to it, or like a I don't know. I mean, it is sinister, like, he's cutting fingers off, but it's, like, the octopus just feels like a joke, almost. Yeah, but it's different to, like, Old Boy, where, like, oh, look, here's the main character cutting their tongue off, Mm. and, like, you see it in all its, like, bloods and gory, whereas, like, the 18 rating on this movie comes from the sex sex scenes. It's done in a way where it's not as violent as it should be, and I really like the touch that, like, he mimics Hideko's breathing as he dies. Yeah, and that, like, 
you know, this dude undeniably, like, a con artist, potentially a little bit rapey, doesn't think he is, but is, you know, that kind of thing. Like, the the overly sexually aggressive, uh, but thinking it's hot kind of thing, you know, this is a problem that a lot of men have, but... Um, but that he did sincerely have this fascination and potentially even this love for Hideko. Like, he was fascinated by her from the moment he saw her. He was drawn to her. He was like, oh, I have to tell you my whole plan. I'm hoping you'll actually marry me, all of this. And, like, even knowing everything he knows and and seeing the full extent of it, that, like, yeah, she masturbated and held him at knife point rather than let him touch her or anything like that. Yeah, it it, it gives the character a nice little send-off. And then, yeah, they flee to China and they have their big naked kissy scene and their interesting sex toys. And, like, hearing them sort of jangling as you see the ship. Sort of, you know, this, this like, idea of, like, old-timey ships with the bell, like, coming across the, uh, coming across the waves, that sound. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I assume that's what he's going for. Maybe I just went there, but yeah. Um, yeah, just, just beautiful. A real sense of humour, as I said. Like, a lot of clumsiness, a lot of wit, a lot of good reveals, some quirky characters. I think the big four actors are all charismatic as hell. They all get to ham it up. They all get to be some degree of evil. Like 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 we said with Hideko and the reveals, where like there's actually a level of malice or cruelty that we didn't think she was capable of. Suki is arguably the most innocent, but even she is just sort of like, oh, this dumb bitch, and like, you know, like, <laughs> like the that she was willing at the beginning to, to be ruthless like that. So yeah, I think they all get to do a lot. And they all get to, like... It's, it's just fucking great. Like, an actor showcase, a director showcase. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, every everything coming together. I'm so glad you... I was worried that this would be one of the ones of my, like, failed showing you a movie, but I... Nah, um... like, you know, it's... <laughs> I know I have a sort of a reputation here as, like, I, I can sometimes be a little bit, like, a block of wood against nuance kind I, of thing. No, I don't but... think it was the nuance. I think I, think I was hopeful for this one because I knew it was more structurally up your alley. The yeah, big yeah, issue yeah. I had was, like, re-watching it with the part one, part two, part three, I was like, okay, this is actually going to be quite easily for you to digest and, like, <laughs> yeah. not have to, like, rather than a boyhood where it's like, oh, God, it's three hours long. What's happening? I'm, <laughs> I'm fully done with this. Whereas, like, the quite clean, there is a... It almost, like, it's not quite structured like a TV show, but there is yeah. very much that, like, you get a beginning, middle, conclusion to each of the three acts. Like, there is a flow to each of them. And obviously, like, part three is just all conclusion. I think it justifies its length. That's the thing. Like, I know I've now developed this reputation as, if it's long, I hate it. It's that I think the majority of long films don't justify the length and could lose half an hour quite easily. And I think that there's nothing I would lose from this. I think this this needed to be as long as it was, and I would be willing to watch the longer version. That's more my thing, is I think most films are longer than they should be, and that people get too close to scenes and think they can't be lost. And I know they do lose loads, every movie. I, I, I doubt there's a movie in the history of existence that has shown 100% of what it shot and didn't have to make some tough cuts. Um, I just think too many films get too attached to like, well, we spent money on this scene, so it has to be in the movie kind of thing. Um, every genre, like like big action movies, like indie films, everything, I think they are often too long. Like as a general thing, we have gotten into the habit of accepting two hours as the normal runtime when it used to be 90 minutes. And as a trend, I don't like it, but there are plenty of long movies that I think are good. And I think this is one that, not more than any other, but one of the better ones that being like, and this is why it's this long, because it's three distinct parts that are all fascinating. I've 
love this movie since it came out. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I'm so glad we're discussing it here. Mm. Um, I don't think it's like underrepresented. I also think that like there has been a critical reevaluation of South Korean cinema since Parasite came out. Of course, not that it needed it, but like it definitely felt like once Parasite won, everyone was like quickly write the think piece for like. Why you've South all been Korean sleeping movies, on South Korea as a, as a movie powerhouse, yeah. Like, they haven't been for, like, decades. Yeah, no, like, seriously, like, this is in contention for my favourite movie we've watched in this series so far. I don't know if I'd put it at number one. I really, really like Whiplash, but I really like nice. Social Network, and I really like Scott Pilgrim, all I in mean, very yeah, different ways, yeah. but, like... This is as good as anything we've watched, I would say, in any yeah. podcast. This is this is in my top ten films of the decade. It's yeah. uh, honestly one of my favourite movies I've ever seen. Mm. I'm, I'm probably going to start doing, like, from 2017 is when I'm, like, at the cinema once a week. So I might start <laughs> doing, like, my personal top ten of each year yeah. uh, as we go through. Because, like, whilst I could throw together a top ten, there's, like, a movie or two in there that I'd be like, but it's not yeah. great. Whereas, like, 17, 18, 19... I'm like, yeah, here's a 10 that I'm, like, fully satisfied with being, like, these are my favourite movies of, of the given year. But yeah. speaking of 2017... Yeah, we, sorry, we, we probably are. should call it a day at some point and, and look to the future. So we are moving ahead, we are moving on with diverse directors, we're moving on with movies that are a hell of a lot shorter than this, at 100, a brisk 104 minutes. Yeah. Uh, we are covering the... Uh, probably the most... Breakout hit movie of okay. the like decade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a a uh, real yeah. That the language of that movie has eked its way into just everyday expressions. It is of course Get Out. Looking forward to that one. I have seen I, it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Get Out. I might. I've not seen it in a little while. I've mm. watched. Uh, obviously, I saw Us in the cinema last year. Um, I mean, obviously, Jordan Peele is a huge talent, but we will dive into that. Yes. We will. So, Matthew, mm. will there be movies? They won't be ones we see. They'll be ones that are described by a woman who has been unfortunately held hostage by her pervy uncle. But they're still enjoyable. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I did it for so long. Still, I didn't know.